Hey, welcome to the All 49ers show, the only show that starts promptly two minutes late every Wednesday morning. <laughs> I'm Grant Cohn. That's Jose Sanchez. He was here on time. I wasn't, but it's my show, so I don't give a damn. Today, the show is called Reassessing the Niners Pass First Offense. It feels like the Niners are a new team now, and we kind of need to reassess what they're capable of moving forward, but we're going to make you wait for that because we got other stuff we got to talk about, namely Hall of Fame semifinalists. Three prominent 49ers could get inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. I want to talk about each one with Jose, and then we'll move forward. Starting with, starting with Patrick Willis. People. Patrick Willis is, uh, he's eligible. Should he be a Hall of Famer? What do you remember about Patrick Willis? A uh, quick question: How long has he been on this ballot already? For this, like a second, he's third been year? A, yeah, is he? He should have been a first ballot, in my opinion. But yeah, he. No, uh, I'll disagree with that. Okay, Only because enough. of his tenure. Only because of his okay. tenure. Because it wasn't right. long enough. But, yeah, he should get in. I think it's about time. What I remember Patrick Willis was literally a huge truck that somehow was moving like a Ferrari. That guy was just a speeding bullet. Was just That guy was like a boulder just looking to rock you that can cover you. That guy was like – I think that guy was the beginning – was the beginning of um of the turn of a new era of, of – almost said running backs of linebackers you know what i mean of like the speeding run uh, linebackers who can cover who can do it all um I, I pretty i think he pretty much kicked the door in and then once bowman came on and pretty much put that emphasis on that dual linebackers that can do it all it's like all of a sudden it's like are we what are we seeing here this new generation of linebackers we don't see the ray lewis's the brian Erglackers. like those days were were clearly over and willis you know was pretty much there towards the end of that era where it was linebackers were just fill, 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 run, and just, you know, just play a little coverage where he literally transitioned from that era to the era of, look, it started to become a passing game, a passing coverage league for linebackers. So him, he was just, and how intelligent he was, it was just, the guy was all over the place. You could not say a single bad thing about him, just his smarts and just his attitude, his aggression. He just did it all. And I think now it's been, they've had him on, they've had him on the burner a little bit. I think it's his time now. I thought Patrick Willis was the best linebacker I've ever seen. I thought he could do everything at an elite level. How is my video right now? Because I'm really like clipping right on my own computer. It hasn't looked bad on my side. It looks okay? I don't know yeah. what's going on with my computer. But um, yeah, he's the best linebacker I ever saw. He could do everything well. Uh, sideline to sideline, the fastest linebacker I've ever seen. He could blitz. He could cover. He could take the ball away. He hit really freaking hard. Um, mm. He had his best years when the Niners weren't great. And when Harbaugh got here, it was... He was still great, but Justin Smith emerged, Alden Smith emerged, Navarro Bowman emerged, and I think people kind of forgot about Patrick Willis a little bit, and then he retired at 29. From him, him to twin, from 22 to 26 was, def, I think, the most athletic, highest-impact linebacker. Maybe Ray Lewis was up there too, but mm -hmm. I think he should have been a first-ballot guy. And I think the fact that he was not a big self-promoter, like he didn't really talk much. Yeah. He didn't really have much of like a persona. I think that probably holds him back. Like if he had played in the East Coast and talked a lot, like Ray Lewis, he'd probably be in the Hall of Fame already. Yeah, I think I think I think that's the one thing that I personally like love the hell out of him about is like it wasn't just a me me me. It's like the, he was losing, he was still balling out, he was getting hurt, he came back like nothing. And even when the team was on those crazy runs for those three years with Harbaugh, it was just like I'm just out there doing my job and we're balling the hell out and I'm just leading them, which was just literally just everything just collectively came together at a perfect time. So I was like. 
it was finally, I was just glad he was able to get his last seasons, like finally, like some real recognition on that stage, at least from football sense, from like football people. I know it wasn't like as much nationally as, as an emphasis on it, but I was just, every time like you get all pro talents like him, like Hall of Fame caliber talents like him, it's almost like, God, I really hope they get like some playoff run, some experience in the Super Bowl, something, just at least so you can say they had that chance, they were there. And it was looking dark there for him. It was like, God, he's never going to get one. Joe Staley. I remember after after that hardball run, it was like the same thing with Joe Staley. He's like, God, is he ever going to get back there again? And then he did. And it's like, thank God they got these on this resume, that experience. So at least like it kind of matches. It, it's fair enough to match the, with them. Because I mean, look, yeah, Aaron Rodgers out there. Guy's only been to one. And it's like, geez, talk about an underachieving career with like Willis. At least the tail end, it kind of started matching with his resume. Yeah. I, Willis to me is a no-brainer. I, I he should be in already. Maybe maybe you don't think so, but he should be in eventually. And no, this is on Matt in, Mayoko no. to make the – Matt Mayoko is the uh, delegated 49ers arguer for the uh, Hall of Fame. So he needs to go there and make a good argument right now. Matt! All right, next guy that's eligible for the Hall of Fame for the Niners. Anquan Bolden. Now, he spent most of his career with the Cardinals and the Ravens, but he had a few good years with the 49ers. And if he makes it, it'll be based on his totality. What did you think of Anquan Bolden's career, and does he deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, him too. Is this his first year now? <laughs> or is this like, I, they, they throw out so many names, I don't know. First ballot, he's someone who should, again, someone who should have to sit for a little bit. But yeah, why not on the Hall of Fame? He's Super Bowl champion. He was a baller. He was, I'm not sure how, I don't think he ever qualified. No, there's no way he qualified for an All-Pro. But I think he's one who's going to have to sit for a very, very good while. Like at least like three to five years before you really get in there. I mean, you've had other greater players who've had to sit on the burner for a minute before they got in. Um, and, but although man, just watching him play, he was like, it was crazy to see. It's not like he was the fastest guy, but he literally was someone who you had to cover him and make sure you made a play on the ball. Because if you let him catch it, you weren't bringing him down. He was like a running back made receiver. And I think when, um, Debo Samuel started to break out in 20, in his rookie year, you started to see like, did we get Anquan Bolden 2.0, but speed. a version with it speed? Yeah, absolutely. Speed, yeah. That's exactly you know? what he is. Yeah. So that was just crazy to see. It's like, God, I was like, I remember a couple of games Debo started uh started to break uh started to go off of the 49ers. It was like, is this guy like <laughs> are we starting to see it again? So I just it was brilliant to see. So Bolden, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't pull the trigger so early. He's gotta wait for a while. Yeah, I don't know that Bolden's gonna make it. Um, because I think the way it works for wide receivers, kind of like with running backs, it's like raw numbers. Like, did you get enough receiving yards and I, don't, I mean, he, was only, he only went to three Pro Bowls, which is crazy to me. He was on a lot of run-first teams. But the way I look at it, I think he should be a Hall of Famer. He was the best offensive player on a Super Bowl champion team. In that game against the 49ers, he destroyed the Niners. They couldn't cover him. He punked Carlos Rogers. I mean, Ray, Ray Rice did, didn't do anything in that game. I mean, the only reason the freaking Ravens won that game is because Bolden went off. I mean, they had a couple, like yeah. Jacoby Jones had a, like Jacoby, whatever his name was, had a good catch. But Bolden was great in that game. Then he came to the Niners and was the best player on their offense for a couple of years, I thought. Huge. I thought he, I think he deserves it. But, like, I, I also felt that, like, T.O. and Randy Moss shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Because I always felt like, man, you guys never were the best player on a team that won anything. And you're supposed to be the greatest. But they had great numbers. And they produced consistently. I just think it's kind of messed up that a champion like Anquan Bolden isn't going to make it. But someone like T.O. who, like, ruined teams and got, like, thrown or tossed around the league in his prime made it. But I don't know. I, I, give me Bolden over it. Uh, T.O., that's me. Give me Bolden. Yeah, it's all, 
these Hall of Fame debates, especially with the NFL, like the way they use their prerequisite, their whatever standard they use is like, it has, has large holes to poke at, which is why yeah. it's always like hard for me to get into. It's like, you know, that's why I was like, I don't care about their measure. Like to me, I like to see how it's going. Like Moss and T.O., come on, they're, 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 they're Hall of Famers to me. Bold is someone, if you're going to put him in the Hall of Fame, I think he needs to wait. And back to Willis, it was like, you know what, as great as he was, probably was one of the greatest linebackers of all time. It, it was still a little early for me. And I'm, I'm, I'm high standards on the, Hall of Fame, maybe maybe not a first ballot, but maybe that second year he should have been in. Because now I think it's it's his time. Bolden needs to wait, or even if he doesn't make it, I wouldn't I wouldn't have no qualms about that. I, yeah, you you said like, what is the criteria to make the Hall of Fame? The NFL like is very oh, no. vague about oh, it. Can you tell the the history of the league without this person? I mean, you probably can't tell the history of the league without Anquan Bolden, but I don't like that. I don't like that criteria. Mm-mm. So you're just in the Hall of Fame for being famous. I thought you play football to win the Super Bowl. You play to win the Super Bowl. And frankly, you could win a Super Bowl with Anquan Bolden as your best player on offense. It was proven. No one ever won a Super Bowl with Randy Moss as the best player on their offense or with Terrell Owens. Never happened. Maybe that's a fluke, but I'm just saying, Bolden deserves some credit. That dude was really freaking good. He was slow as hell, and no one could cover him. It was amazing. He might might, might have ran a 4-7. Yeah, if you were a t- if you're a player who helped contributed, especially like pretty like were a main contributor to the Super Bowl runs, even even if it wasn't for a Super Bowl season, say it's like you know like he was a part of the Ravens for those couple years and like he didn't make it the first year, but it's like after some years they made it. And it's like all right, look, if it wasn't without him all those years and they made the Super Bowl and they won it, that's when I think now you can start accrediting to him. Like okay, yeah, he he's pretty much he's pretty much was a, was a Hall of Fame player in that run during during that time. Um, yeah, Super Bowl needs to be a criteria. It can't just be like, oh, how many rings does he have? I don't want to try to make it like, you know, an NBA thing. Like, how many I know, rings does he I have? Know. That's pretty much all that happens. But I, know. I think if we can really, like, find, find Comey and look down deep and be like, okay, was he a contributor? How much of a contributor was he? Which Bolden, like you said, with those Ravens team, and even the Niners on their runs, was a great player. Yeah, and also Bolden was a team player. Like, he wouldn't complain mm-hmm. if he didn't get enough tar- – he was on run-first teams. But Moss and Owens – you don't have to agree with me on this. No one agrees with me on this, but this is how I feel. Moss and Owens were not team players. They were the ultimate me guys, and I think yes. that's part of the reason they never won Super Bowls being, you know, the best player in their team. There was something off about him, even though they, Owens came close. Owens came close. Uh, Moss didn't. Anyway, that's such a tangent, and no one agrees with me. I'll just move on. Just a second. Uh, Josh Wyatt says, is Debo the weakest link on this offense now? CMC does what he does, but better, and you could get a much better traditional wide receiver for $25 million. I was thinking that the Niners essentially are paying Debo Samuel now for that one long run a game. That's pretty much what they're paying him for, if he can give it to him. You pay him to score one long run that sets up a touchdown and scores a touchdown? You can think of a lot worse ways to use your money. Like $40 I just million think it's funny. Like the, like, you, 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 it's a 24 for him and like 12 for McCaffrey, so the Niners are spending about $36 million a year on gadget players. They're good, though. But they're, neither one really has a true position. Like, McCaffrey, he's, he's a right. running back who's... McCaffrey, the, be, the, the best thing McCaffrey does is catch the ball. And the best thing Debo does is run the ball, which I think is very interesting. And they're very expensive. I, mean, I, I think it gives you more value when you're a versatile player. That's just me on both sides of the of ball. Of course. If you can flick all over and be, some, be in a position... Like you pretty much turn into a queen chess piece at that point, which I'll take that over, like you know, the rook, but whatever. At least you know you can interchangeably put him anywhere. You can have a lot of fun with that weapon, right? But the question with Debo is: is he is he two things or is he neither? Right? 
Like, it was the same thing with Solomon Thomas. Are you a D-end and a defensive tackle or neither? He was neither. Debo is a really good player, but is he a wide receiver? I mean, man, he's not having a great year as a wide receiver. So he's, so he's kind of in between. And as a running back, man, like, he's not... He misses, like, he misses holes. He doesn't have great yep. vision. He has, like, one good run a game or something, if that. I don't know, man. He's really expensive. They got to figure out what he does. But that's a good point. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Moving on. Last Hall of Fame semifinalist connected to the 49ers, Ricky Waters. Now, Ricky was a little bit before your time, so let me give you my uh, remembrance of Ricky Waters. This was back when I was a Niner fan. So, the Niners had this dynasty, and their backfield was Tom Rathman and Roger Craig, and those were their guys for a long time, and eventually the Niners moved on. And there was this period where the Niners weren't winning Super Bowls with Steve Young, and they blamed him, and they blamed George Seifert. But really, they didn't have a running back. They didn't have a backfield. And once Mike Shanahan got here, and he figured out that Ricky Waters and William Floyd were the new backfield, the Niners won the Super Bowl. So Ricky Waters was pretty much the heir apparent to Roger Craig, and he did a lot of what Roger Craig did. He was a really good runner, really good receiver. I believe he was a receiver in college at Notre Dame. And then eventually he left the Niners and went to go play with John Gruden in Philly and I want to say Holmgren in, Se- in San- uh, Seattle. So he was like a, a West Coast offense favorite around the league in the 90s. He was really good and he was a champion. I don't think he was a Hall of Famer though. I mean, really good player. I don't think he was a great player, but great fit in the West Coast offense. I wasn't alive. I can't tell you. <laughs> I wasn't alive. Ricky Waters, he was number 32 on the 94 Super Bowl team, and he was part of the crew that would wear do-rags during games. I thought that was so cool as a six-year-old. I wore do-rags to school. Can you picture six-year-old Grant wearing a red do-rag? Like the ones like like, like the Deion ones when Sanders. they do the meme when they put the cigarette in the mouth and everything like that? <laughs> kind of like that. I mean, that was really cool. Deion Sanders did it. Ricky Waters did it. All the young players on the Niners did it that year. Uh, and I, so the, I mean, I, I wore my little red do-rag. That was pretty cool. Ricky Waters was a lot of fun. He was hella good, and he went dumb in the in the Super Bowl he was really freaking good they wouldn't have won that without him yeah the only running back I was ever like taught to hardcore learn back in the day for the 49ers was always Roger Craig (laughs) that was always things my uncles just drilled into me Waters too but I can't I can't speak on Waters it's not like it's not like they forced me to watch him they forced me to watch some clips of Roger Craig yeah you see me on diamond see me not good look and everything and just watch it I was like okay I get it he's good yeah but Waters wasn't here that long it's just that I remember my dad told me, he used to talk to Bill Walsh all the time, and there was that period between between Craig and Waters, and Walsh told my dad on the phone, like, who's the damn running back on this team? Where's the, where's the damn running back? Something like that. Well, <laughs> they, they eventually found one, and that was the, it's an important position. And once again, it was it was a Shanahan that figured it out. He's the one that started, that inserted Waters into the starting lineup, and boom, they won a Super Bowl. That's pretty much, to me, the Shanahan's legacy in the NFL. If you give them a Hall of Fame quarterback, they'll find the running back and put it all together. I don't know that they can necessarily find the Hall of Fame quarterback on their own. But if you give them one, mm-hmm. they can give them the running game and, and win the Super Bowl. That's the way I look at it. Anyway, I got a question for you. How come you didn't tell me that Mexico City is such a 49ers city? Like, I've never seen a place that passionate about, other than maybe South San Francisco, that passionate about the 49ers. Seriously, man. Like, they made it real clear from the beginning that there's 80,000 people there and 75,000 were, were were um, cheering very loudly for the 49ers. They booed the halftime act because the singer was wearing a Cowboys jersey, period. I think that's why they booed him. Were Cowboys jersey? I didn't watch that. Yes! Time, so. so, did you know this about Mexico City? Uh, I knew this about Mexico, for sure. Explain I this. I, as a gringo, I had no idea. This is like, a, this is Niners territory. <laughs> Explain this. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not shocking to me. It's like Niner fans. It's not even just. It's not even just Mako. It's just Niners are just a, are just a fat brand that's across the, the globe, true. pretty much, and it's underrated. It's I mean, look look at everywhere you, we you've been, especially like you're like ah Carolina Niner fans. I mean, we're in Atlanta. Hell, I mean, Forty uh, Nine fans, and it's like it's something I underestimated until like the last like five years, but especially when I first started covering them. But they're they're freaking everywhere. I mean, it doesn't matter where you visit in Mako. It doesn't matter when we're visiting the country. It could be freaking Canada. That this fan base is just contagious, and mm-hmm. these guys spread so fast like a wildfire. It's like a crazy sight to see, and it's just like I just can't just feel the nothing but respect in the tip of the cap. Like it's again, I can't think about more than just when we we're at, when I was in Atlanta. It was like eighty to freaking twenty. Yeah, it was nuts, and it's not like that that place is, is bad. So it may go, which actually I think when we did a schedule breakdown, I said I would expect that to probably be a <laughs> a niner Dude. a niner home game. Because it's not even just like just the fan base that's just there, but like you have people who are gonna travel there because of so many people from the West Coast, from just from Mexicans all over, Latin yeah. people in general, just anyone that wants to go watch it. So it's like you get a chance to go see there instead of watching, you know, Stinky America. You know, we're gonna go watch a we're gonna go watch a real team in the 49ers. Go Chivas. <laughs> well, I think what I thought was so interesting, it felt like the NFL was presenting it as. Here's a football game in Mexico, and the Mexicans are going to be so happy just to have a game, and they'll just be cheering everyone. And, every, and the people there were like, no, this is a Niners get home game. And any time a Niners player was on the screen in, in, in like the pregame warmups, huge ovation. They don't do that at Levi's. When Jimmy Garoppolo's face went on the, the screen, the, 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 the freaking place went nuts. Anytime they put a Cardinals fan, uh, player on the screen, they booed. They don't do that at Levi's. And then with the, at, the, at the halftime show, the dude was wearing a freaking Cowboys jersey and got booed off the stage. They don't do that in America. So what I'm saying is, if the Niners have a must-win game, play it in Mexico. Forget Levi. There's no home field advantage in Santa Clara. But in Mexico City, that is Niners territory, dude. They got to make a special dispensation. Can we go to Mexico City to play this game? If you got to have it. I'm just saying. That's where the fans are. They should rebrand as the Mexico City 49ers. Strongly felt too, because it's like, I just think like fan bases are outside of just even just football. Like, because, you know, soccer is pretty much predominant in uh, in Mexico and and Europe too. You get those home field advantages and just those in those leagues, Premier League, German, you know, Liga Make, they all just, the way they just have that passion, they're into it. Like, it's like, it's part of them. They kind of they transitions the same way to like with the 49ers. So that way it's like it's literally like when they say I bleed red and gold, it's like, you know what, right. they kind of mean it. <laughs> they kind of mean it when people say that. Right. I think what the, what the NFL was expecting. You saw the, the week before in Germany. Germany was super hyped off the NFL being there, but I don't think they really cared which team was there. They were just excited no, it really to look like there was a no. Right? It looked like they were just excited to cheer a football game. This was like the the Mexicans were like, "No. It's the Niners." We're excited because the Niners are here. If it was anyone else, eh, but it's the freaking Niners and this our team. And I thought, I was like, damn, I had no idea they felt that way. And honestly, if the Niners could get a crowd like that at Levi Stadium, they just might be better. <laughs> Nothing against American fans, but it just felt like a whole different thing. American fans are polite. They don't boo the opposing team at the, at the Niner games, ever. They, they would never boo the halftime act. Even if they didn't like them, they'd just be like, I'll just get a hot dog instead and turn my back. Here in Mexico, they're like, no, you're awful. I was like, man, that is... That is the, the that is the sports experience I want. Sorry. I think the last time uh, Mexico City hosted a game was a uh, Raiders and Texans 2016 and 17 2016. Okay. One of them, and so even even the no 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 the Raiders last hosted one was against New England was 2017 or 18. One of those two, and 
yeah, not even the Raiders can get teams, which actually Patriots had a good fan base there, which I just found out. It's like New England has a fan base there, well, I guess, whatever. But yeah, so the fact that Niners were able to like pretty much rip through all those cheers from previous games that the Raiders, Texans, and Patriots had, that's just, I mean, that's just pretty much like chef's kiss right there. Yeah. Josh Wyatt says, I mentioned Debo because you guys were talking about Bolden. I started thinking about how much better off the Niners would be if they could replace one of their weapons with Bolden. And which guy would be disposable at this point? Debo. Yeah, no, the Debo thing is interesting because he's the one guy that you could say on the offense really isn't living up to the contract. I mean, McCaffrey, you could say he is. Ayuk is. Kittle when he gets the ball. But Debo is like, man, you're really not playing well as a wide receiver this year. Uh, and the running back stuff has been few and far between. So maybe he's pacing himself. That one run he had on the end around was phenomenal. Maybe it's all coming together for him. But it, like, it now's the time because they're paying him to be the focal point of the offense. He doesn't get separation. No, he doesn't. And At he doesn't all. have good hands, and he doesn't have length. I think this Other game, than that, made, yeah, this game I made a concerted effort when I could see it on the limited screen on my phone <laughs> time. Just you know, just, just to see is like, let's see where Debo's at, and just like just running across the defenders right there, and it's hip, and it's not, it's not an attractive throw. And you know, of all the times we used to give um Jimmy Garoppolo like criticism for forcing, and it's like, what are you forcing into Debo for? Which you know, he deserves some blame. It's like. Well, I'm, I'm starting to realize like more half the reason, if not more, he's forcing it into Debo is because <laughs> that Debo can't separate. It's not just because he's forcing is because, look, that's his defender on him almost 24-7 when he's running a route. So what are you going to do? Just not target him? At that point, you got your Jimmy. He's like, I just got to try to throw a perfect ball, which, you know, Jimmy doesn't really throw perfect balls like that when the when the defender's draped all over you. Whereas, you know, Ayuk, every time he catches the ball, it feels like the defender's like two yards away from him. Yeah, no, and that's the truth. Kittle, so, too. I'm yeah, that's the truth. So Debo Samuel, I, he got paid off of what he did last year, but this year he's not the same player. And it's the Niners got to figure this out because they're giving him more than everyone else. They're paying him to be an MVP candidate. And right now he's not. So Debo, that was a very nice run though in the other game. Uh, I liked it. Maybe you can do that in America now. Okay, I want to talk about what Traverius Ward said about DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins uh, isn't as good as he used to be. He used to be an all pro, kind of winding down in his career now. Had a good first half against the Niners, but didn't really make a difference against the Niners. And apparently he was talking a bunch of crap. So after the game, Traverius Ward basically said he's washed and called him steroid boy. Which I think is just hilarious because DeAndre Hopkins did get suspended for the first part of this year for testing positive for some performance enhancing drugs. And no one ever makes, no one ever calls out football players for being connected to performance enhancing drugs it's like oh, it happened let's just move on in baseball that's a red mark against you the rest of your career the rest of your life in football it's like eh. so you know what Traverius? i like that he said that what do you think it's very saying that <laughs> that was freaking hilarious <laughs> i yeah. was dying i was like there we go like to me i just love when the corner when corners are the smack talkers i feel like i feel like it's how football should be so when deandre actually got penalized for that i was like come on man let Football's predicated on like getting in your opponent's head and like mouthing off. Mm -hmm. And if you're tough enough to still play at a high level after that, after the tongue lashing, then man, kudos to you. But I, I, lo I loved it, you know, and I, I, you know, and you're tripping. DeAndre's still playing at a great level. Maybe not all pro. Okay, sure. Maybe not all pro, but he's still playing at a very, very great level. Um, Cause I mean, it's not like DeAndre, I mean, it's not like Charveris was actually shutting him down in that game. It was a lot of times where he was just like trying to play catch up and try to tackle him. But I digress. Either way, I loved it. This is going to set up more heat towards the end of the season, you know, unless, you know, the Cardinals are checked out, which they most likely will be. They probably will be. Um, so I just – let's start bringing back more 
of the of of the trash talk. Can we can we bring out more of this? It, it makes more fun. Like I I don't want to be like you know these are grown adults. They all they, it's not like they all take it like so personally like that. Let's just keep it. Let's just keep it going because it's just so fun. It adds more heat, especially from a fan's point. It's just like yo, this guy was talking smack. Like all those times with the Seahawks and the 49ers, you had Richard Sherman talking smack. Like how many people hated Sherman and the Seahawks just for that? Like l- let's bring this back. It, it, it just adds more heat heat to the matchup. Um, so Johnny E says Ward sucks, man. Check the tape. Lenore was way better on Hopkins. I do feel like when Hopkins won, he was either not covered or covered by Ward. But still, uh, the Niners won, so Ward can talk crap if he wants. Uh, someone else said that like That's everyone so in the league's on steroids. We don't know that, but it does feel like the league is very kind of blase, blase about steroid use as opposed to the MLB. I don't know. Do you think that steroid or performance enhancing drug use should be accepted in the NFL? It kind of feels like it's just sort of frowned upon but like almost i don't even know i'm not gonna get myself in trouble it just feels like it's like not it's a casual thing that people don't talk about and it's almost accepted that it's probably going on but we don't know we don't want to talk about it kind of thing yeah should it be cracked down upon or should it just be opened up i mean with the way scoring is now it should be opened up right (laughs) god like the nfl is like so stinky i mean sunday since uh we didn't have to work uh sunday i just got to enjoy watching games and I think a lot of fa- people who were in fantasy could be like, fantasy football sucks. All these matchups suck. Everything is bad. It was boring. So maybe they do need a little juice so everyone can start playing Maybe better. that would just help the defense, though. Bigger, so faster, boring. stronger. I mean, that might just help the defense. I think the reason offenses suck is because they don't practice. I think the, reduce, the reduction in practice time hurts offense more than defense. What do they always what? say in training camp? Oh, a defense always starts ahead of offense. Yeah, offense needs time to get, a, to get in rhythm and on, you know, all that in choreography. Well, they don't have that anymore. I wonder, I don't even know if Hopkins was doing that to actually enhance his performance. I mean, because aren't some of these like performance enhancing drugs isn't also can uh, categorize as it was meant to heal him or something. Maybe, maybe they're you just can say whatever, cover right? You can maybe say just whatever. Cover up. just saying that like, I wasn't using it for a performance, but That's I what they like, always say, they always say like, oh, I hadn't even, I didn't even know I had this. I'm so, so how did this get in my system? Oh, I'm going to fire my trainer. Like, shut yeah, up. that, but I would believe more because how much is actually like Roy's even help? I mean, especially when you're a wide receiver, like it's not going to help you run routes better, right? Why would hey, I, guess, I guess we gotta ask. I guess more? we gotta ask D Hop. I just thought it was more for honestly. Some of them actually take it for recovery and stuff like that. Like, like I, I don't know. It's just. I mean, it's football. It couldn't hurt to be bigger, faster, stronger. You gotta be physical, right? Press man coverage, all that. Mid Atlanta teach eighty nine says not including OBJ. What free agent should they try for? Should have been Sue, but he's gone now. Should have been Sue. I don't think they. I mean, you could say they need OBJ because Juwan Jennings has had a bad game last week. I don't know. They don't really have a third wide receiver who's super dependable, but do they need one? They got three running no. backs they can throw to and a tight end. The third wide receiver two- CMC. Yeah, you got McCaffrey, Juszczyk, Kittle, Ayuk, Debo. That's five weapons you can throw the ball to. Do you That's really need Odell not. Beckham Jr.? I don't think you do. Some offenses don't have more than one or two. I mean, the offenses we've seen the last two weeks, right? The last one was Greg Dortch and DeAndre Hopkins, and that's it. Like one and a half. Dorch just had before. that one rip play, and that exactly. was like several whiffs that we've never seen from this defense. So you take that away, it's, it's just Hopkins, which you'll the let Hopkins before, get, his, get, his, get his, as long as yeah. it didn't equate to like multiple scores. Right, and the week before, it was just Eckler. The week before that, it was just Cup. A lot of these teams have, I mean, what is it this week? What do the Saints have? Michael Olave. Thomas is gone. Kamara. Olave. That's it. So they got, is Kamara even healthy? Uh, yeah, but I don't think they get too much push or enough. They don't create enough. But then again, Kamara is such a good, 
running back that he this guy just squeeze like the same way we see McCaffrey just squeeze through the, the slightest glimpse of light on a running lane. Kamara does that too, and he hits it. Okay, so they have two. So they have two. I mean, eventually the yeah. Niners in the, are going to play teams with five, like the this Eagles or or the Dolphins. But right now, I mean, you're to yeah, your Dolphins. point, absolutely. Bang bang Niner game says Tisha, Tisha Edmonds. Thank you. Hold on. All right, let's go to the next the next topic. I'm using two laptops right here because one of my laptops is tripping. <laughs> Why do you think Jimmy Garoppolo is having such a good season, Jose? Because the pressure's off him. It's it's off him, and he's playing free. And I think this is this is something like I had mentioned at first when. Jimmy first came in. I think we looked at we tried looking at the bright side. Like, what's what's one thing we can look think of a bright side with Jimmy stepping in the rest of the way for Trey Lance? And it was, it was like, look, the criticism is not going to be as high, or it shouldn't, because he's not getting paid as much. You know, mm-hmm. ever since you brought up That's that true. good that great point about he doesn't take up fifty percent of the salary cap space, That's which I'll, I'll forever like look at uh, contracts that way from now on. Is mm-hmm. look how much Jimmy Garoppolo is like what like two three percent now? So yeah. again, the pressure comes off because number one of his pay. There'll still be the criticism of a quarterback because it comes with the territory, but it's not all on him anymore. You have players like Debo, George, and yeah. now CMC who need to take more of that brunt. Kyle Shanahan right. needs to take more of that. Right. And the second point he, is – He's not expected to be a playmaker. He just has exactly. to distribute the ball to his playmakers. Do your job. Yeah. Make, make yeah. a couple plays. Make a couple plays out of your bag, and which he did. So the Kittle play was brilliant. Yes. My God, that's three, that's three weeks in a row now. Don't Shit, turn, so don't turn the ball over. Distribute the ball and make one play with your legs. He's doing that. Don't turn it over. Um, he's doing that. Yeah, he's doing the all that's tremendous. Yeah. And the second point is, uh, to add less pressure, is he wasn't supposed to be the starter. He's playing with found money. He's playing for he's, he's playing with found money to be a starter with no pressure and for a contract next year. So all of these, I just think, well, ultimately, it's just the pressure because he's not, he's not supposed to be that guy anymore. Whereas years past, it was like, yes, Kyle. Yes, yes, sir, Kyle. And now I think ever since he kind of has disconnected to that stint or at least gone to arm's length from being that yes man to Kyle, I, you, I feel like, now he's playing more free. It's just something about more him being more relaxed. You just sense it. I don't see too much tap dancing like you see from him. Um, and I just think it's all going hand in hand with how he's playing. See, yeah, I, I like your, yours is a very um, generous reading of it. I, I'm more pessimistic. To me, this is a classic contract year push from a guy who's done it before. I feel like he's motivated. And I, it kind of annoys me that he wasn't motivated the last four years. But what I see is a guy... Like, my question with Jimmy Garoppolo is, why does he play football? Like, the quarterbacks that we grew up on, Joe Montana, Steve Young, and the other greats in the, in the organization, they held themselves to a standard. It felt like they were playing football partially to make money, of course, but also because they wanted to win Super Bowls and they wanted to be the best. They had this other standard that was independent of finances, and they didn't, weren't making as much money back in the 80s and 90s anyway. Now, for a lot of players, Jimmy included, I'm thinking, like, why do you play when he was making all that money, it didn't seem like he held himself to any type of standard. He was okay throwing picks or being kind of middle of the road. But now when it's time to get another contract, like all of a sudden he doesn't turn the ball over. He transfers his weight. He does all the little things that we were asking him to do the last few years. And it's like, it seems like he's the kind of guy who needs some motivation to play his best. It's not just, I want to be the best. I want to win a Super Bowl. It's and this might be my next contract. This, is my, this might be my last contract I ever get. And it's not a bad thing. It's human nature. But that's the way I read him. I don't think he's necessarily one of these guys who's obsessed with being the best football player he can be. I mean, it's documented, right? No one knows what he does in the offseason. He goes off the grid. Uh, he doesn't seem like, like obsessed like Tom Brady. Whatever. Okay, he's, he's, he's a normal guy. He's down to earth. And when it's time to get paid, he can turn it on. I mean, we should all be like that, right? 
And you I, shall be so lucky. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh <laughs> I'm just saying this dude can put some zeros in his bank account. You gotta respect that. <laughs> and I, I think I think that's why I started seeing people mention you mentioned like the little things like his footwork transferring weight, you know, all the technique. I think yeah. that's something maybe you can maybe credit to Brian Greasy too. I mean, maybe. I'm not too sure how much I'm gonna put on that. I would love for you if you somebody can ask him if he ever gets the chance to, like, like, hey, or just grapple. Like, how do you feel you finally gotten up to acquainted with with uh with Brian Greasy? Cause it's you know, that could also be another another telltale sign of why he's playing a little better. Um, well, how about this though? How about this though? Maybe maybe Jimmy's actually taking coaching for the first time in a while. Because it's one thing to be like, hey man. I'm the highest paid player in the league. Leave me alone. I know what I'm doing too. Oh, you just got benched. You just got your uh, salary cut in ha- by 75%. And now you are at a ve- you're at the crossroads in your career. He's back to where he was when he was 26 where he has to impress everyone. I'm a hard worker. I'm all in. I'm dedicated. Let me get that $80 million uh, signing bonus. And then you'll see what you get the next five years. <laughs> You, you know, I can't, I can't push back on that because it could very well be true. Look at all the, de- look at all the offenses who need a quarterback right now. You got Pittsburgh, the Jets is back, bench Zach Wilson. There's at least five teams who need, who, who easily Jimmy Garoppolo marketing himself, make a difference on. He's marketing himself right now, and this is what players do in contract years. I'm the hardest worker. I'm the best teammate. I, I do everything right. Uh huh. Uh huh. But we saw what happened the last time we, they gave you a six year contract. You went four years where you're like, eh, eh. Super inconsistent. Good games, bad games. All of a sudden, he's found some consistency at 31, just like he had at 26 in 2017. All of a sudden, he's 26 again. I think it's hilarious. But yeah, good for the Niners and good for him. They, they might just be able to ride this to a Super Bowl victory. And then they'll have to figure out, but we don't need to go there yet because they're not there. They've just won three games in a row against teams that are not going to the playoffs. We need to slow the, the fuck down. We need to slow the <laughs> fuck down. I think we do. But it's fun. Jimmy's garbage. I'm still not convinced. Says Dennis McCray. What's up, Dennis? Cone phone legend. Good season. I look. I don't know what to make. The, uh, the other thing is his mental toughness. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Hold on. Let's go to another one. Because you did say I remember one time you told me like you, you know I'm just waiting for that bad Jimmy stress that we know is coming. And it's like is it coming though? Is it coming? Because well, I mean, it, right we'll now see what happens play- in the playoffs. Yeah, okay, even yeah. his even oh, his yeah, best sure. year in 2017, he didn't have to go to the playoffs, and he's been a choke artist. So we have to we yeah. have to see what he does when the when the chips when it's nut crunching time. I'm sorry, I keep cursing. I have a question oh, for you. Is that what? even cursing? Not really. I have a question for you, Jose. What is the identity of the 49ers offense? Tell me, right now. Uh, I think after this last game, I think their identity is uh, they're going to be more like water and clay in terms of they can shape shift to whatever they want now i think now that kyle shannon saw an offense that he called for that passing they can actually be well at and finally because thank god they finally got rid of the the, the run 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 like jesus man but I, i'm just happy they finally got that tendency breaker on, on as a passing game and they utilize to get the offense on balance to keep the defense now like play more honest so to me i think right. they're playing more adaptable so now it's like all right you want to commit to the run we'll pass it Okay, you're defending us well against the pass. The, we still have the run that we're so adequate and precise on. So I'm really, I think now they have both ways that they could, like, they could, they could throw the changeup at you, the fastball, the curveball, the sinker at you. I think now they finally have gotten, they finally got a grip on that. Now I know it was just one game. They still have to show that they can sustain it and play consistency on a week to week basis. But I think that's finally something they have in their bag now that they should be. That's going to be their identity. They can, they can give you one way or the other, more adaptable. 
I still think they're the same essential offense. You have a ball control offense. You have a horizontal passing game. It's not explosive. But what they've done is they were a run-first offense. We're going to come out, we're going to establish the run, and we're going to try to throw play action off of that eventually. And that doesn't work with this team anymore. Everyone expects it. So what they're doing is passing first. And they end up with a balanced approach by the end of the game. But you come out passing, establish that, then the defense is on their heels. And in the second half, you whip out, man, I keep using the wrong word. You break out Elijah Mitchell, and now you use him as the closer, and you're running in the second half. Uh, I think it works really well. It's a pass-first team, but it's a balanced offense. When they were run-first, it was almost wasn't balanced. It was a one-dimensional run-only offense. You never got to your passing game. Mm-hmm. My only question is, what happens if the Niners are losing in the second half, and it's not just yeah. like pass-first. You have to pass to come back against a team like the Chiefs. Like Eventually, if the Niners are going to win the Super Bowl, they're probably going to have to beat the Chiefs or a team like that. Can you really go throw-for-throw throw with an explosive offense? I don't know about that. I mean, Atlanta, Arizona wasn't explosive. The Chargers weren't explosive. Eventually, Miami is explosive. We'll see. And that's going to be a great game to see if the Niners' pass-first approach is legit or if it's just a wrinkle on what they already are. Yeah, that's why I think we even talked about it. We were on pretty much on the same page last week. They had to go throw early and often to set up the run for later because I think, what was it, the first half, the Niners doubled, had like 30, 40 yards rushing, and then the second half they doubled and tripled it. Mm-hmm. Which wasn't shocking to me. It was like you look, you use the pass, set up the run. Exactly. But if you use like you just said, if they use the passing game to chase the game, it's not gonna work because now you're back to square one where you're you're predictable again. You're running the game right. earlier, you're so predictable. So do it early to keep them off balance and you keep keeping the drive sustaining itself. And I think that's where you're gonna find success going forward. Because you can't it, you cannot have Jimmy try to win you the game when you're down by like ten or seven. If it's if it's like a tuck and pull game, like you're tied, sure. But if you're down by like seven or ten, that's where it's going to start becoming very, very difficult. Right, and you know that every single opponent the rest of the season, the defensive game plan coming in is stop the Niners' run game. You know that in the first half. And so if you do what the, if the Niners keep doing what they did, 21 passes, seven runs in the first half, by halftime, the opposing team is going to say, oh, okay, we got to make adjustments. we got to take away this passing game. And then, boom, you hit him with Elijah Mitchell. It could work. This could keep working. I mean, the fact that the Niners didn't get this until half, you know, midway through the season, kind of like last year, where they have a wrinkle now, where teams may not figure it out for a couple of months. Actually, if you haven't been paying to the Niners, paying attention to the Niners, they're run, they're a pass-first team now, and if you don't know that, you're gonna lose. That's just kind of interesting. Jose, did you catch the Mexico game? Yeah, of course I did. It was just disappointing yeah. that they had to draw and not win, but better a point than a than a loss, you know. All right, I got a question for you. Now that the Niners have this pass-first approach that is sort of catching the league off guard, are they the best team in the NFC? And can this new pass-first approach propel the Niners to a Super Bowl? If they do it consistently and it's still working, but right now I'm going to pump the brakes on that. I think we've already already seen so many people start like crowning the Niners like, this Niners team is a Super Bowl contender and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that one they can, but we haven't seen them do it on a game-to-game basis. It's It's been just very random and very different points in the season. Let's see them actually do it to a team they're supposed to do it against twice in a row. Okay, you did it against the Cardinals, great. But can you do it against the Saints at home, who are very abysmal side? And can you do it for a team who is a playoff contending uh, side like the Dolphins? Can we mm. see this going consistently? That's when I'll start to be like, okay, that's when I think you really can take it to the Eagles. Or 
or that's why I th- no, because I still think they, I was about to say Cowboys, but I think they could beat the Cowboys right now. I don't trust them, but yeah, I think the Eagles are still the top the top dog right now. Mm-hmm. And until the 49ers really can prove it on a week to week basis, then you really can't crown them that top seeded point yet. I, I think they're they're getting close though. We just need to see this because I think the last time we said that the 49ers found themselves, that they found the offense, that they finally found their niche after the Carolina game, and it turns out that was like a one off, and they started becoming a little more stale, a little slower. Can this be the thing that makes them sustainable going forward? That's why I really want to find out in this upcoming game in the weeks ahead. Yeah, I, I still want to see what the Niners do against non-division opponents. They smacked their division opponents. They could they, they could go undefeated in the NFC West this year. But the only time their offense has played well against a non-divisional opponent this year was in Carolina. So I'm still waiting for them to show something against anyone else because they're not going to be facing NFC teams in the playoffs. They're going to have to beat teams like Dallas and Philly and Minnesota and things like that. And they haven't done that yet. So that's all I want to see this week is a good start to that. You know, put it on the Saints. If you beat the, the hell out of the Saints like you did the Cardinals last week, then no one's going to be talking about the Niners record against the uh, divisional opponents. That'll just be a fluke from earlier in the season. Right now, we don't know if it's a pattern or a fluke. We don't know. My, my pushback on that thing being the division, look, and I get they understand it is the Arizona's been whooping their ass for the last two to three years. Mm-hmm. Where it's not been the same way as like the Rams, where they've had their own, their own, uh, pretty much their own uh, uh, leg above them. It, I would just. But all I'm saying I, is I, the, the Rams and the Cardinals suck this year. Suck. Okay, yeah, that's true. They do. They suck, but. And I, I'm not sure the Niners will win in Seattle in a few weeks. That'll be a tough. Well, that's going to be a tough game. Them at home. I mean, uh, huh? yeah, when the Warriors yeah, were at home last year. Yep. Yep. That's true. Arizona. Arizona did. saying it. I just feel like this Arizona. I mean, you saw what happened. Like two of their what? One of their coaches got fired in Mexico. Like that's that team is is in disarray. I don't know what the hell's going on over there. I don't get it. It's uh, terrible. <laughs> it's definitely it looking like a terrible ball, clown show. It does. Uh, Druber89 says, We play the Saints almost every season. There has to be a McDaniel game plan somewhere in the filing cabinet. Open the plan is to turn it up. That's true. They face the Saints a lot of times. And what, are they going to be facing Andy Dalton? Are we really expecting Andy Dalton and Chris Olave to like do something against the Niners that freaking no. Justin Herbert couldn't? Like, no. Like, the Niners should destroy this team. And I expect they will. Yeah, they should. All I think right. the I watched the first half of the Rams. So wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, hold on. Are they the best team in the NFC? Niners, no. No. Yeah, we we we, we can't say that yet. But Mm-mm. this next these next five games, if they go four and one, then you could say probably yeah. I mean if they beat Tampa and Seattle on the road and New Orleans, you could say maybe yeah. But we'll see. We'll see. Well, the Another thing I wanna ask about I, I wanna talk about with Jimmy, uh Jimmy. This new pass-first approach, that's the second part of the question. Can it propel the Niners to the Super Bowl? Yes, it's it's the best way for them to play offense, but it still depends on three players who I think are have lack mental toughness. Three people. Mike McGlinchey, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kyle Shanahan. I don't care what the approach your offense is. In the fourth quarter of a big game in the playoffs, what are those three guys going to do? That's my question with this team. Those three guys. Sorry. Yeah, I think that... Uh... How would you rank it? I think I'd put three McGlinchey, three McGlinchey, two, oh man, two Kyle. No, yeah. three McGlinchey, two Jimmy, one Kyle in terms of yeah. like how prioritized it's going to be and like who needs to actually be strong. Because yeah. if Kyle's like calling like a timid game, which we've seen countless times where he starts to forget about who he has to use, if he doesn't write the hot hand or yeah, we've seen it. We've seen it definitely tip over on their, on their shoes. It's not good if they get to that point, but the mental That's toughness. Really the pro- 
the okay. mental toughness point, that's that's yeah, that's definitely something we gotta see. And I think that's gonna come up when the games like the Seattle game. I think that's gonna be one mm-hmm. Miami too, but I think the Seattle game, that's when it's really gonna be like the maximum efficiency of the stress test. Yeah. And that's what's rough about this team. Like great defense, um, really good weapons, and they've been around. Like they're they they're gelled, but they have three guys who have had some serious chokes in their career. I mean, yes. Kyle, multiple. Jimmy, multiple. And McGlinchey, we all know that when the, the, the moment's the biggest, he's the guy you're worried about the most. Mm-hmm. Um, the Niners, you, everyone. That Those are just guys that lack mental toughness. And I think that's kind of how the Niners felt about Tart last year. You know, good player, but with the season on the line, he dropped a gimme interception. Like, you know, lacking mental toughness and confidence. Sure, okay. Well, what about those other three guys? What about Kyle? What about Jimmy? What about McGlinchey, man? Same thing. So I, that's what I want to see from them. And they could they could run the freaking table and finish the season 13-4. and four. Great. What are you going to do in the playoffs? That's what I want to see. Because I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, because that was their expectation anyways, even with Trey Lance. Yep. Jason says, why is Burford not getting more reps? He makes a play every week and seems to have that it factor Hafenga has. He seems, to, he seems like he can be a playmaker. Burford, the right guard. I've never heard of a right guard playmaker, but he could be. What do you think? It's kind of bizarre how they're rotating it like a basketball team. Yeah. Right? Like, I've never seen it. It's working. Hey, it's working, though. It's working. I'm at the point where I'm not going to question Chris Forster. I think he's a really good coach. And I think he's playing uh, Mike McGlinchey because I don't think he really has a choice. But I think Chris Forster is almost as good as Chris Kacerik. Those two line coaches are really good. And Chris Forster is the best coach to interview on the entire team. I love his interviews. He tells it straight. His explanation of the Trent Williams thing was phenomenal it explained it perfectly he gives it very very vivid answers too that's why i love not just I, when we get the transcripts it's like all right two sentences three sentences this guy it's like eight <laughs> it's like eight i'm like wow and it's great is like if if you like me i'm really interested in learning about football so I ask a question i'm genuinely interested in learning his answer and he can tell and he'll give you the whole answer it's like he's teaching he's a, and that's why i feel he's a good coach he's a legit teacher and you can feel it as a, as a journalist in these press conferences, some people want to learn. Some people just want to ask questions for their articles. I want to learn. I talk to coaches off the record. Some coaches feel it and will teach you. Salah was that way. Uh, Forster's that way. Those are legit. Good coaches have to be legit teachers. And those guys are legit teachers. He When I when I talk to Forster, it's like talking to Mike McDaniel. He's that smart. And I wouldn't be surprised if Chris Forster and Mike McDaniel are extremely close friends who talk football in depth. They seem very similar. Good on Forrester for being that too, because people understanding offensive line play is not common knowledge. That's uh, no. that's something I think we all can brush up on. And it's not only does he understand it conceptually, like he puts together the run game, the X's and O's, but he can coach each offensive lineman up. I mean, what would Aaron Banks be right now without Chris Forrester? What would Spencer Burford be? Jake Brendel. Yeah, man, this guy's really good. Because Chris Kasarik is good too, but he gets premium players. First round picks, second round picks. Uh, you know, this guy... Forster, they're like, hey, man, we got a fifth rounder for you. Good luck. Hey, we got Jake Brendel. Good luck. He's like, cool, that's all I need. It's crazy how all, that interior, how all that interior concerns we had training camp, it's like, <laughs> what concerns? <laughs> they look fine. They look great. Yeah, and again, I'm not – that's Chris Forster's credit. Like, these guys are not premium players. One-on-one in training camp, they weren't dominating. This mm-hmm. is a guy who really, really can coach a unit together. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Double B Studio says Cardinals coach got fired for sexual assault. That is correct. Very bad. You could look it up. 
Jason, really, the fact that Chris Forrester ruined his career in Miami worked out very well for the Niners because when he was in Miami, I think he was getting like seven figures a year to be a position coach, which very few guys get that. That means you're at the top of your craft and everyone recognizes it and a lot of teams want you. Then he Mm -hmm. did what he did. You could look it up. People make mistakes. Now he's here and look at the Niners. I mean, he's the best offensive line coach they've had since Mike Solari back when Harbaugh was here. Damn, Sorry, Womack got my rookies uh, mixed up. I don't. Okay, Womack. Yeah, he he does need a chance. I think Womack's pretty good. His coverage is good. They benched him for no reason. That's another guy, a rookie on the bench right now. Do not write off Womack. They just bench rookies. I bet you he's going to be a good player for the Niners. Well, he's going to be the next Hafunga, the guy who comes out of nowhere in his second year. It's like, no, he was good the whole time. That's what I think. That's what I think. Grant, you said back uh, when you used to be a Niner fan. Can you explain when, why you stopped being one? Don't dodge. Also, we miss Vish. If Vish is around, man. Uh, when I was a Niner fan, from 1994, pretty much, like kindergarten when they won the Super Bowl, through college. And then I be- wanted to go into the family business, being a journalist. And I always knew that my dad felt, you can't be a journalist and a, and a fan. So that was how I was raised. And once I made the decision to be a journalist, it was just, you got to give it up. So that's how I felt. And then once I started covering the, the team, it's still with you forever. It's you can't get rid of the tattoo. But once you start covering the team and you're in the locker room, it's easy to not root for them anymore because it's just business at that point. You know, you're rooted when you root for people. It's like they're far away, and it's kind of like they're your heroes. Once you're interacting day to day, they're right in your face, and they're just other people, and they're not rooting for you. You're not rooting for them. It's just business. So it was easy for me to let it go. But I was, as a kid, for a very long time, Niner fan. You know what else made it easy to let it go? The freaking Yorks. God! Ha! I'm sorry. Like, that is not what I grew up in. Uh, I feel like that's a consensus with, like, everyone. It's like, ugh. Damon says, LAR and uh, Arizona have minus 59, minus 56 differential. NO is minus 18. Thank you. The Niners are plus something big, right? So this Jeez. Saints team is better than the last two teams they faced. Still, they're not a good team. Are they Double better than last year? They had Sean Payton. No, I said they're better than the last two teams they faced. Oh, I thought you meant the Saints are better than. No, the I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Double B Studio says many, mentality of the team, not how you start, but how you finish. Kyle's offense shows up second half of the season, and defense shows up after the first half. Yeah, what it is about that? If they actually go on that the hypothetical run, you said like if they end up winning only one, losing one or two games the rest of the way, and the offense is a big proponent of that, it's like, dude, that's like two years in a row now, like. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's just that team just confuses me. But hey, I guess they really are a second half team, and it works. It, I mean, they go on the runs. Yeah, Did but I think it? they should probably work it on starting a little bit faster. It's great that you finish strong, but can't you start a little bit fast? You have to be three and four at, at, at week seven every year. Is that? I guess like the same thing in basketball. It's like you don't. It's like who cares if you start out hella raw in the first few months, but if you start, you know, collapse and you don't build momentum to the playoffs and you become a first second round exit. You know, I mean, I, it works for them. It worked for them last year. It might work Damon, for the next year. Damon Rice says Miami's plus 11, Tampa Bay's plus 3, Seattle's plus 16. We'll learn a lot. Yo, those, those teams have scored more than they've given up. Those are the three. T- yeah, that's the three-game stretch. And then Washington. I don't know what to make of Washington. What, what do you think of Washington right now with Taylor Heineke? Uh, kind of the same thing that I thought going into that Atlanta game. They'll be a they'll be a scrappy team. They'll, scrappy. They'll, they won't they won't they won't bend over. They won't lay down. Like you know, Arizona just did. Yeah. God, that boy that they did. After like, that, especially why, after that. why even go to Arizona? Like, just go home. It felt like they were done in the third quarter. They were like, you know what? We're tired. We're losing. Goodbye. And the Niners wanted to be like, no, we want to keep our starters in. Come on. Cliff Kingsbury. Faithful effective. Jinx says, 
didn't you like the first couple times? I didn't like you the first couple times I watched you. Now I don't miss a video. You're on point and entertaining. Keep up the great content. Thank you very much. I feel like everyone says that. When I first met you, I hated you. I didn't like your face, your breast stunk, and I didn't like the way your voice sounded. But now, I think you're okay. Appreciate now, it, I like your content, but I still hate your face. <laughs> I just want to punch it. All right, that's the show. I got to remember to not do the show on this laptop anymore. Do it on this laptop. But it worked out. It's okay. Sorry I wasn't looking at the screen most of the time. No, I'm good. No, uh... My, my dad had an extra one. Um, ah, there you go. Yep. So. so look at that. All that. All that. All that fake adversity. You're just looking. Can you for, explain to me why my laptop paint. didn't work? Can you explain to me why this didn't work? Like, I plugged it into all these different outlets in Mexico and it didn't work. But the um the charger would light up. It just wouldn't transfer the electricity into my dead computer. And as soon as I brought it home to my house, it started charging again. What the hell is that? I can't. You know, I cannot explain that. Did you? Were your phones charging? Yes. Okay, only I can, thing I can uh, explain is that my phone charger had a two-prong thing and that my computer had a three-prong thing and that three-prong things don't work in Mexico, but two-prong things do. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I, I cannot explain, dude. I cannot explain. <laughs> Maybe for some reason your laptop hated being out of the country for some reason, which means your laptop has to have like a heart-to-heart -heart about why he doesn't like Mexico or something. Other than that, that makes a... I don't know. I think it was just the battery just lost and you messed it up. I think I messed it up. Jim Everett the Great says, I will say Kyle looks younger without those stupid Niner hats he'd be wearing. Yeah, I agree. To me, the, the, the hat is a defense mechanism. He wears it when he loses. He comes in the postgame press conference with it real over his face. And the way that the light hits it, there's a shadow over his eyes and you can only see his mouth, which takes away some of the expression you can't see that he's crying. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good look to take the hat off. He does things that a seventh grader would be told not to do in a, in a school assignment. Don't say, um, don't wear a hat. It makes you look bad. If he could just take the hat off and take, cut out the ums, he would look so much more confident. That's it. It projects insecurities when you're wearing the hat over your eyes and you're like, um, um, um. But when he's winning, it's like, who wants to talk about football and see my face? The whole thing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, is he the only one that wears a hat to the post game? Now that I'm thinking about it. It's a bad look. It's a bad Is look. It looks like a high hat. school. He looks like a high. He looks like a high school freshman who didn't do his homework and is trying to uh, hide in front of the entire class during their presentation. That's what it looks like. It's a bad look. <laughs> if saying. it comes after a loss, I don't blame him because I wouldn't want to be. Exactly. I wouldn't want to do that either. Joe says, "Is it medically possible for Trey to play Week 17? Medically possible? Maybe. I don't know. Who I don't knows? know." I, I don't know the answer to that. Ooh, I mean, we'd have to like we have to be a doctor and see the specifics. D does Sanchez know uh, why halftime show got booed? Oh, I was there like, were a lot of reasons. I didn't. I didn't watch the halftime show. I didn't even know we got booed. I didn't even know what happened. I only know who was playing. Um, if you said it was because he was wearing a cowboy shirt, but I think there's. I think it's more deeper. I think it was deeper too. Why they got booed. Apparently, um, there's all kind of reasons, but that no, was a lot a very of reasons. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons because um, it was going on in the cousin group chat. And it was like someone else asked why they got booed, and it was like a long list. So it's like yeah. I didn't, I didn't really look at it to be honest. I it just felt like they had done a bunch of things that rubbed the Mexican crowd the wrong way to begin with, and then just coming in wearing a Cowboys jersey was like the final straw. It was like, "Hey, boo this man, boo this man." I don't know what it was, but the whole I never saw seventy-five thousand people agree on anything. So strenuously before like no this these people suck it's like wow man they just seem like a group playing music but okay all right i feel you uh that's the show it's the, the whole show 
Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great Thanksgiving. Jose, you do anything special for Thanksgiving? Yeah, I'm eating. Me too. Have a great time. <laughs> I'm eating, bro. <laughs> I'm eating like we all are. I'm watching football. All right, guys. Uh, I'll see you later. Thank you all.